Hello, I'm Alec Avdokov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. Before we begin today's episode, I would first like to address a bit of feedback that I found important enough to mention. This review was made on Audible and was made by the listener DVL. They wrote regarding my podcast, you have to give Alec credit for doing this. He loves his subject and has made a podcast. It's just not for me. It feels like I am listening to a kid reading his school project at the front of the class. I just feel that it needs more polish, but good on you for trying. And they gave me a one star as a rating. For that feedback, I would simply like to say thank you. I did ask to hear back from you all, and I don't expect everyone to like this podcast. Comments like these just want me to improve my content more. I would also like to address that I am on a shoestring budget, and that a lot of research goes into each episode. Therefore, I would like to tell you that I am trying to give you the best historical content that I can. The second thing I would like to address is that you have to give my podcast a chance. I admit it myself that my first episode is not my finest work out there, and I have improved as I have continued on. I believe that I will use this review as rocket fuel to propel me to greater episodes and more exciting stories. If you are listening from Audible or anywhere, and you want to tell me how you feel about my podcast, please leave a review, because I know at least one of you likes my podcast just as much as DVL did not. So in short, thank you for the feedback. Also, do not forget to go to Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, as well as a say in what you want to hear from the show. Thank you all for your support and your patience. Now, let's get on to the show. Last episode, we discussed the childhood of Frederick the Great from his birth until he was the age of 16. We discussed how his father was constantly abusive to him and expected Frederick to be the exact mirror image of himself. And finally, we discussed how Frederick started to develop his personality by being witty, sly, sarcastic, and most importantly, oblique. Oblique is the personality and military maneuver that Frederick is most famous for, but that is a subject for another episode. This week, we will be talking mainly about two things that were crucial for Frederick the Great's early life, the double marriage and the von Kata affair. First, we will start with the double marriage, because that happened first chronologically, and is good context for the utter dread Frederick has when the final straw has been broken. So, what was the double marriage? Well, the first thing you need to know about the marriage at that time of Frederick the Great is that it was essentially a business transaction and had nothing to do with physical attraction or love or any of that nonsense. Marriage at the level of high nobility was a way for you to gain lands, unify dynasties, such as the unification of Poland and Lithuania in a personal union, or more famously of England and Scotland. Marriage can also strengthen ties between kingdoms, which was the political purpose of the double marriage, 
At first, it started out as the so-called English marriage. This would be between the son of the Prince of Wales at that time and Wilhelmina, Frederick's older sister that he was the closest to. The son of the Prince of Wales was, ironically, also named Frederick. Sophia Dorothea, the wife of Frederick Wilhelm, was all for the marriage because she was from the electorate of Hanover, a territory within the Holy Roman Empire, and King George I of England was also from Hanover. Side note here, but I bet you didn't know that from the time between George I until the reign of Queen Victoria, the Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland was in a personal union with Hanover, meaning that Britain technically had territory on the European continent that spoke German. That is why, if you look at the dynasty of the United Kingdom, they are more German than anything else, and the royal family even had a German surname until the middle of World War I. That's why when I think of the British royal family, I think of inbred Germans. Anyway, sorry for getting sidetracked. So anyway, both the Prince of Wales and the wife of the King of Prussia were from Hanover. And that is why Sophia Dorothea wanted Wilhelmina to get married to the son of the future King George II. Whew. I feel like the one meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie is explaining a conspiracy theory. Look it up, you know that meme. Right, now to continue on. Sophia Dorothea supported this marriage plan even more fervently when King George I died on, uh, in 1727. However, the plan received a cold reception from London. The plan also gained a second dimension in 1725, when Frederick was only 13 years old. It was proposed that Frederick could marry Princess Amelia of England, the second daughter of the eventual King George II. However, Frederick Wilhelm wanted political concessions. He wanted to be sure that he would get the recognition of the duchies of Jülich and Berg before such a plan could take place. England, not being too concerned with the affairs on the continent, could not support this claim, whereas the Austrians could. So that was the first strike against the double marriage. The second strike would come with the guy who wanted to block the double marriage from happening, Field Bar Marshal von Seckendorf. He was an envoy from the Holy Roman Empire, aka the Habsburgs. See, the Habsburgs did not want the Prussians and the English to team up because that alliance could potentially be used against Austria, and the Emperor might not be a Habsburg if that happened because Hanover could help elect the Emperor as it became an electorate in 1697. So, Seckendorf was sent from Austria to try to stop the double marriage from, from ever happening. Seckendorf had once fought with Frederick Wilhelm in the War of Spanish Succession and therefore had some influence over Frederick Wilhelm because you can't say no to an old war buddy. So, that was strike two. Strike three would come when the English continued to be wishy-washy about the double marriage. Sophia Dorothea finally ended up writing a kind of ultimatum to the Queen of England on February 1st, 1730 
to either have the double marriage or to not. There was no real answer to the ultimatum, but England sent an envoy to Frederick Wilhelm to discuss the double marriage. Here's what David Frazier's book on Frederick the Great has to say about Frederick Wilhelm's response to the envoy. Frederick Wilhelm was perplexed. He thought he had agreed, although not formally, to one marriage, Wilhelmina's. He knew very well that the betrothal of his heir to a daughter of England would displease Vienna, which he was anxious not to do. He was suspicious of people, especially close to the Queen or to Hanover, who might seek to form a crown prince's party at court, potentially hostile to the sovereign. He said that Frederick was too young. The envoy reiterated his instructions. Both marriages or none. And Frederick Wilhelm said, and may have sincerely believed, that he was being pressed unreasonably and Wilhelmina's betrothal had already been accepted. So, that was three strikes, and Frederick Wilhelm said nope to the marriage because, quote, Frederick was too young. But that was simply an excuse. But what did Frederick think about the whole marriage idea? Well, do you remember the last episode when Frederick visited Saxony and had its splendid court of beauty? That planted a seed in his mind that he would want to escape his father. Frederick felt his marriage to Princess Amelia would be his best chance to escape. He wanted to escape the abuse from his father, and he was utterly pro-double marriage. However, when it was rejected, Frederick was absolutely crushed. This seemed like his only chance to actually be a human and get out of his father's clutches and the opportunity slipped out of his fingers. All the insults, all the public embarrassments, all of the beatings had finally made him want to escape at any cost. So it was in 1730, the year that Frederick's hopes for the double marriage were crushed, when Frederick conspired to escape Prussia. The main person you have to remember if you're learning about Crown Prince Frederick's escape attempt in August 1730 is Hans Hermann von Katter. Von Katter was Frederick's elder by a little over seven years. And remember how I said that Frederick preferred men? Well, Hans Hermann von Katter was most likely Frederick's first love. They were both officers in Frederick Wilhelm's army and shared interests in music and French culture. Hans was Frederick's only true joy at that time, besides the music he would secretly play on the flute. It was due to this backdrop of disappointment of the double marriage and von Katte, the lover that Frederick now conspires to escape. But how is he going to do it? Well, the crown prince and the king were going on an official visit to the western territories of the Hohenzollern dynasty and would pass through the different jurisdictions in the Holy Roman Empire, as each territory was independent of each other, as I said in the first episode. Frederick and Frederick Wilhelm would pass through Heidelberg, Mannheim, Darmstadt, and Frankfurt am Mainz, with the ultimate goal of heading to the Prussian town of Wesel. 
and remember that travel was much harder in those days. So if Frederick, say, had to use the bathroom and suddenly came across a horse to take him to France and then ultimately to England, who's to say how long it will take for Frederick Wilhelm to find out? However, that simple escape attempt is not what happened. Here's what happened. Frederick, because Frederick Wilhelm was a total control freak, had Frederick under constant surveillance and most likely discovered the plot before the trip had begun. Von Kata had planned to use recruitment leave, basically time off, to try to recruit new soldiers. To help Frederick escape, however, his request was denied at the last moment. Even though von Kata had been refused to travel, Frederick went on with the plan anyway. And in a dark night with mosquitoes all around him, yes, I looked it up, the mosquitoes are native to Germany, Frederick snuck away from the encampment and tiptoed away. Nonetheless, Frederick was caught almost immediately when a servant had seen Frederick leave and raised the alarm. So, obviously, Frederick Wilhelm heard all about this and was angrier than Louis Black during his comedy routine. However, since this is real life and it has its consequences, Frederick was carted away to the prison at the fortress of Kiesland. Here's what Christopher Clark's The Iron Kingdom has to say about Frederick's stay at Kiesland. He was confined to a dungeon cell and forced to wear the brown habit of a convict. The, car the guards appointed to watch him over was forbidden to answer any questions from the prisoner, and the little tallow light he was given to read the Bible was extinguished each evening at 7 p.m. On top of being allowed only a limited time to read only one book, Frederick was harshly interrogated. Here's an example of some of the questions he was forced to answer. Question 179. What does he consider to be a fit punishment for his actions? Question 180. What does a person who brings dishonor upon himself and plots desertion deserve? Question 183. Does he consider that he deserves to be king still? Question 184. Does he wish his life to be spared or not? Question 185. Since, in saving his life, he would ipso facto lose his honor and, in effect, be disqualified from succeeding the throne, would he thus stand down in order to save his life and renounce his right to the throne in such a manner that this could be confirmed by the entire Holy Roman Empire? To any normal person, all of these questions would just be a huge trap and there would hardly be a way out of this mess. However, Frederick had a sly wit and managed to slither his way out of it. When Frederick was asked whether he wanted his life spared, he responded that he submitted himself to the king's will and mercy. And the final question he answered with a masterstroke. Frederick said, quote, His life was not so dear to him, 
but his royal highness would surely not be so harsh in his treatment of him. All of these answers took place when Frederick was uncertain whether he would live or die. However, we are going to leave the plight of Frederick to focus squarely on Hans Hermann von Katte. He was also in prison, and a special military court was created in order to try von Katte. It was by a majority of one that it was decided that Katte would be sentenced to a life in prison. However, the king said to heck with that, and thought that a proper punishment for an officer of the king's army conspiring with the heir to the throne to escape would be to tear his limbs apart with hot irons and then hang him. However, since his father was a revered field marshal, the sentence would be commuted to decapitation. Therefore, Frederick's boyfriend would be condemned to die. Apparently, von Kata still believed that his life would be spared at this point, and still had a positive outlook. He even wrote an apology letter to King Frederick Wilhelm that acknowledged that he had done wrong, and he would commit his life to service to the king. But the letter remained unanswered. Time was running out for poor Kata, and it was decided that he would be decapitated right in front of Frederick's cell in order to teach Frederick a lesson. Then von Kata poured his heart out to his final letter to his father when he wrote, I could dissolve in tears, my father, when I think that this final letter will cause you the greatest sorrow that the heart of a father can feel, that your hopes for my well-being in this world and your comfort in old age must vanish forever, that I must fall in the springtime of my years without having borne the fruit of your efforts, your faithful until dead son, Hans Hermann. The day had come when von Kata would be decapitated at 7 a.m. on November 6, 1730. He was taken by guards over to the center square of the fortress, where there was a small mound of sand. Frederick had his face pressed against the cell bars by two guards in order for him to watch the proceedings. Frederick yelled out to Kata to ask him for his forgiveness in French. Kata also replied in French not to give it a thought. Kata knelt on the mound of sand, took off his necktie and wig, and called out for Jesus to accept his spirit. Frederick's first love was about to be executed, and at that moment, Frederick tried to free himself from the guards and somehow reached von Kata, but it was too late. The axe was raised in the air, and with a single sharp thud, Hans Hermann von Kata was no more. At that very moment, Frederick fainted. And with that tragedy, I believe I shall have to leave you here. With all Frederick's desperate attempts to escape foiled and his own life up in the balance, I apologize that this was not the light tone that you might expect from this series, but history is full of tragedies. 
Bad things happen to good people all the time. We shall see how the execution of von Kata will affect young Frederick as the years run on. Thank you all for listening. And with the sad proceedings of this week's episode, I believe I shall simply bid you adieu.